You have great technical skills and an undergraduate degree in engineering. You'd love to go to MIT for a master's in engineering, but how can you do it? How can you get in? Our guest today is going to tell you how he got into MIT's master's program in aeronautical and astronautical engineering. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me for this, the 460th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Before I dive into today's interview, I want to invite you to download Applying to Graduate Engineering Programs, What You Need to Know. This free guide will complement today's podcast and show you how to select the right engineering program for you, differentiate yourself from your competition in a positive way, and present yourself effectively as a talented, innovative future engineer and problem solver, one that will bring credit to any program that accepts you. Download Applying to Graduate Engineering Programs, What You Need to Know at accepted.com slash 460 download. Again, that's accepted.com slash 460 download. And yes, it's free. I'd like to welcome to Admission Straight Talk, Siad Shayan Zaid. Shayan grew up in Pakistan and came to the United States to study at Purdue University in Indiana, graduated in 2019 with distinction. While there, he pursued multiple internships at Cummins Inc., and also worked there full-time briefly. In 2020, he began his master's in aeronautical and astronautical engineering at the famed Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Now that's the skeleton of his story. Let's put some meat on those bones in the conversation. Cheyenne, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you, Linda. Nice to get the opportunity to talk with you today. All right, I'm glad to have you. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? how did you get interested in engineering? Sure. Um, so uh, my name is Shayan. Um, that's how I usually go by. Some people prefer calling me Syed, um, but whatever you prefer. I'm originally from Pakistan. I grew up in this uh, metropolitan city called Lahore. It's uh, one of the most uh, busy cities, I would say, in Pakistan, uh, known a lot for its uh, historical significance, uh, cultural heritage. Uh, we have um, from the Mughal Empire dated, uh, you know, centuries ago, a lot of uh, historical monuments and buildings. And the city is divided into two parts. One is called Old Lahore and the other is called kind of just new Lahore or Lahore in general. <laughs> um, I was from kind of the uh, more modern part of it, but it was really interesting growing up in a place where you have like a lot of history embedded in, you know, your day-to-day life. That is, that is interesting for sure. What do you like to do for fun? That's a very good question. It depends on the time of the year, honestly, uh, and, and, and the mood, depending on how much time I have, uh, you know, outside of my academic commitments. But mostly I like skiing. I've been doing ballroom dancing since 2015, since I moved to the U.S. Uh, I've been competing as well. Um, COVID has uh, certainly stopped that uh, free of competitions, but hopefully they're going to, you know, come back up soon. I like to uh, also pursue interests like in, uh, such as adventure, hiking, um, anything that involves being outdoors and traveling is what I enjoy. 
That's great. I like to hike too. And if yeah. you're in Massachusetts, you're in a great place for skiing, right? There's lots of snow. VR, yes. And actually, the the interesting thing is that I like started learning a year ago, so I'm not really a pro at it. So whenever I go, it's almost like I'm um, beginning from last year's experiences and uh, yeah, uh, conquering the green slope again. <laughs> well, when you get to California, not that if you're in the Cupertino area, there's no snow, but if you go to the Sierras, you got lots of great ski resorts there. Yeah, I'll have to go more out of my way to do that there. Right. right. But boys, it's good good skiing. All right. So how did you get interested in engineering? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, you know, um, that's a question I, um, you know, had a lot of difficulty in answering for myself when I was applying to the U.S. and undergrad. The, the main key thing that I looked to was, was my experience like in childhood and what, you know, I truly enjoyed. Uh, there were a few options like, you know, I, I, I took biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics, all these 10 subjects in high school. And as I was evaluating, the one common thread that I found is I really like understanding how things work. And also like how to, you know, make things that, you know, uh, maybe make the world better in some way. That kind of a vague idea I had in my head that, you know, I want to pursue something that involves building something, understanding how things work. I wasn't too interested in like the biological or life sciences per se personally, but what really propelled me to you know make this final decision was how how to how to put things together that already exist in the world to make something that is like totally new and that you know when people see it they think oh why wasn't this done 10 years ago um so basically just you know a passion for inventing new things is what brought me to engineering fascinating okay and and astronautical and aeronautical specifically yeah, um, that was also a long journey. And um, as you might have uh, seen in my undergrad, I did mechanical engineering. So at Purdue University, when I joined the first year, it was very helpful because it's just general engineering for you to explore different fields, for you to learn more by talking to different people. And one thing that stood out to me is um, I didn't know what industry I wanted to specialize in, even though I had that vague idea. Um, mechanical engineering was a broad enough field where you can pursue different interests. You can look into uh, how to be a good engineer, not necessarily working on airplanes or rockets or uh, automotive engines, but you have a good skill set that you can build up on later, maybe in the industry or academia. So that was my decision for mechanical engineering. And then one thing that I knew from early on is that airplanes are all this you know, have always been very fascinating to me. Like, you know, it's it, it, it's a work of art. It's magic. Like, you know, you fly from place A to B um, and, you know, it is just, it's a marvel of engineering, you know, um, uh, how that was invented, the whole story of the Wright brothers doing that. And what motivated me to pursue aerospace was precisely that. I knew that I want to be in the transportation sector. And what was most fascinating to me in the transportation sector was, um, you know, working on airplanes. Uh, and, and, and so in undergrad, I was split between aerospace and mechanical. I decided to give myself some more time to think this through. And by the time I was, you know, pursuing my master's, I knew what I wanted to do. Right. I have a cousin who, who got his um, master's in I don't know specifically it was aeronautical or astronautical, but it was something out there, <laughs> up there. And yeah. um, he was like building model planes and, and stuff as a, as a young boy. I mean, for him, it was, it was always that direction. It is truly fascinating. And also the education that you get, particularly, um, you know, when you do uh, air astro is what we call it at MIT, uh, uh, you get a bit of both worlds. Um, and, you know, you have the flexibility to often choose what you want to do between these two things. And the uh, education that you get can really translate between space and air because it's like really very similar principles. 
Okay. I don't understand any of it. My, my science and STEM background is very weak, but uh, again, he, he loves what he does. Yeah, we all have our strength. Yeah. What challenges did you face in applying to your master's program? Yeah, um, many. The, the, the first thing that, you know, was a big point of concern for me is whether I want to do grad school. And, and, and after that, do I have the time? to invest in you know my applications because i was reaching my final semester and uh i knew i was taking about i think 18 credits at purdue there was a lot of coursework involved in my final semester and so you know one thing that i knew for sure is that i want to pursue higher education because i want to gain something of a more specialized educational experience that is that goes beyond maybe uh, the stuff that i learned in mechanical engineering which is helpful but generalized Um, and so uh, the decision to pursue my master's was, you know, based on my desire to learn more about a field that I really enjoy and love. And the challenge was that, you know, can I invest the time in it? And uh, it was a tough one. Uh, you know, the the key was starting early, but there were times where I, you know, had to ask myself, okay, is the exam that's coming up three days later more important than the essay that I'm writing right now? And so, yeah, definitely it was, uh, the time commitment is probably the biggest thing that you can think of. And um, after that, also the question of, uh, you know, what do you want to do in the graduate school if you, you know, get in, uh, having a plan and mapping that out. There's so many experiences floating around from your previous experience. And the key is like, you know, how do I tie it together? And then answer the question for myself first before telling the admissions committee that, you know, I really want to do this. Right, right. Well, well, point well taken. Did you, did you ever consider like, finishing college, working for a year, and then applying to grad school? I definitely did consider that. And uh, that was one of the options. Uh, so I did internships with Cummins, which is an automotive uh, engine manufacturing company. And one of the options I had was that if, you know, either I'm not happy with my results or if I don't end up applying, in either case, I can still work and apply later. The the key distinction between, you know, either applying later or applying now was that uh, I was already in the academic mode. I knew, you know, how uh, to power through exams, how to power through courses. Uh, the diligence that academia requires is often much more than industry, in my opinion, uh, the, because you're taking exams, you're taking courses. And more than that, in graduate school, you'd also be uh, sometimes doing research. Yeah. And um, so what I knew for myself is that if I wait, I might lose that like vitality or rigor that you know can always come back if needed but it's a bit more of a learning curve okay and how did you choose where to apply yeah that is i assume you applied to more than one than just mit yes i did apply to more than one um and the toughest question for me was definitely where to apply because it was a trade-off between uh you know first of all uh what i think i am good enough for uh, in my opinion, and also then how do I fit in to the campus life? And a lot of that involved, you know, just looking very thoroughly at different universities' websites and looking at the programs, their research, what they're doing, because ultimately, you know, initially it can be very enticing to say, oh, you know, institution like, for example, MIT is, you know, a very renowned institution in aerospace, so that's why you should apply there. But more than that, I think digging deeper into, you know, what is MIT exactly doing that fascinates you? beyond, you know, just maybe it's uh, credibility or fame or all that. Um, so 
the key question definitely was that. And uh, my background, um, you know, as an engineer, I had these different extracurriculars. Like I love dancing, for example. I love traveling and all these things. I looked at definitely the activities that the universities and campuses offered and what they encouraged. What are their values? Uh, it was a big factor in, in the decision as well. And kind of combining all that, it was really key for me to, you know, see uh, where I fit in and how I can also contribute to the academic community beyond just, you know, getting that degree. And uh, yeah, it, it was a tough decision making process. But the good news is that, you know, when you're applying, you're not committed anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that was the, 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 the good thing about the decision making process that I didn't have to think too much uh, to, okay, if I apply here, I need to be here. Um, so, yeah. How many schools did you end up applying to? Yes. I think I applied to five schools in total. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, yeah, the, those schools, uh, definitely, it was a mix of, you know, what I would consider like, you know, my dream schools and my uh, maybe safe zone, as I'd call it. Uh, you know, everyone has their own academic profile sure. and, you know, depending on what you all prefer. Right, right. Um, did you get accepted only to MIT or, or more than one school? And if you got accepted to more than one school, how did you choose among the acceptances? Or was, there a, was it just MIT is my top choice and once you got in, that was it? Yeah, um, it was actually a little bit tougher than that. Uh, you know, initially uh, when I applied to five schools, I actually uh, got accepted to all of them. Oh, uh, wow. Fortunately, Congratulations. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I, you know, didn't expect that. And actually one, one key lesson that uh, everyone can learn from this is that, you know, never underestimate yourself, uh, you know, because often we tend to, you know, look at ourselves and look at the acceptance rates and be like, oh, am I going to be in one of the, uh, you know, I don't know, top 6% or 10% of people who these people are going to take. Um, but, you know, uh, the, Decision-making process, like, you know, between those acceptances, number one was funding, uh, who's going to, you know, offer the most funding. And, you know, there, there were, uh, you know, I would say a couple of schools, including MIT, that was, uh, you know, offering full funding for my master's degree. Um, then the next step was uh, also, you know, what I'd be doing. And, you know, I had an idea what research group I'd be working at, um, what type of work I'll be doing and what kinds of professor I'd be interfacing with. Then comes the time, I think, or came the time for me at least to look at the courses and what is the curriculum going to look like? How's it going to add value to my profile, uh, depending on what I want to do in the future? So uh, all these factors, you know, really, it, it, it was it was probably the toughest decision I had to make in my life. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it is a fortunate situation in some way. And uh, sometimes an unfortunate situation when you look at it, like from a personal perspective that, oh, am I making the right decision for myself? But at the end, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, wherever you end up, you can always pursue your interests in one way or another. Is, uh, it was a very uh, good thing to have in my mind. Are you glad you got, you chose MIT from those five schools? I'm, I'm very glad, uh, more glad than I thought I would be, actually, because, uh, you know, initially I, you know, chose MIT because of my technical interest lining with MIT and also the courses and the academic environment, all of that, you know, checked off. But, you know, after joining MIT, the experience that I gained was much more than that and much more than I had expected from a graduate education, especially considering that it's a two-year program. Uh, it is sometimes uh, uh, harder than maybe at the undergrad level to incorporate things uh, like extracurriculars and um, interests that you have beyond your academic life. 
but it, it was it was uh, I think uh, the smartest decision I've made. Not every decision I've made in my life was smart, but this certainly was. I hope all future ones are equally successful. And now for a word from Admissions Straight Talk sponsor. Applying to graduate school? Make your life easier and more organized by signing up for Interfolio. You can request and store your most important scholarly documents, including confidential letters of recommendation in one online hub. Sign up at interfolio.com backslash accepted with the code accepted22 for 10% off. Again, that's interfolio.com backslash accepted to get your 10% off on Interfolio. And now let's go back to the interview. Now, you decided okay. to get involved in student government at MIT, the, certainly the Graduate Student Council, and you're currently the vice president of, of graduate students or the Graduate Student Council. Why did you decide to get involved and assume that role? And are you glad you did? Yes, that is something that, you know, that is one decision that I made that wasn't really expected, you know, when I joined MIT. And the key thing was that I joined in a very virtual environment. You know, it was a oh. pandemic, COVID-19 hit, uh, sure. and uh, my visit days were actually canceled a week in advance because of the pandemic. Uh, and so when I joined, you know, after the first semester, I realized that, okay, I'm really loving my work that I'm doing. I'm talking to professors and my peers on Zoom. But then there was, you know, this, this, this burnout that wasn't necessarily a high workload, but it was more uh, the lack of interaction with my, like, MIT community. You know, at Purdue, I was used to, you you know, going to call outs, attending, you know, club meetings or, you know, whatever I was a part of, talking to my peers. And that was something I was missing at MIT. And, you know, then I, you know, saw these announcements coming out that, you know, different clubs post or, you know, around uh, winter time about uh, vacancies, about elections coming up. And before uh, actually graduate student council, I joined another organization uh, called the DRF, which is a department of resources for easing friction and stress. Um, and uh, that is the, I, I know, a very long abbreviated name, but essentially the goal of that organization, it's very much to just support the graduate student body, having uh, conversations, conversations with people and understanding if uh, people are having issues either with their peers interpersonal dynamics or if they just need help in general and that was kind of my first step into kind of the academic uh, or extra academic community extracurricular and once I got to interact with students I realized that there's much more to MIT than you know what we see from the outside or what we see even in our research silos the research lab that we are working in and then a few months later, I realized that I have bandwidth for one more activity um, and that one more activity could either be ballroom dance or it could be, you know, some other extracurricular. Now, unfortunately, at that time, uh, there was the pandemic and there wasn't any ballroom competition going on. So, you know, I, I just started shopping around. There's so many clubs and activities you can be a part of at MIT. It's amazing. And, you know, the Graduate Student Council posted that they have elections coming up in April. Uh, you know, you should apply. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself that, you know, I, I may not be as credible uh, of a member of the MIT community as maybe more senior people who have been here before the pandemic, but, you know, why not give it a shot? And, you know, that thankfully, you know, I was elected the VP and after that, it, it's been a, I would say a very transformative experience that has been truly life-changing. Like it has, it has opened my eyes to so many things that I'm passionate about that I like implicitly was passionate about before, but I didn't really know. Um, and, I, you know can you give an example? For example, diversity and inclusion, you know, uh, 
there was you know some incidents that happened in the academic community not just mit but in general for example there's you know sometimes asian hate crimes uh, anti-asian hate crimes that happen sometimes hate crimes directed towards particular communities you know those experiences happened right during the time when i got elected and so that was kind of the first problem that we wanted to solve um, you know collaborating with the mit administration and uh, looking at what sort of programming can we incorporate into the community to help people understand like why inclusion is important why is it important for an institution like mit and actually any institution in academia to bring different perspectives together uh, you know no matter uh, whether the opinions match or they digress and that you know, working on these things with the administration, realizing what are the hurdles student bodies, uh, you know, uh, at different academic institutions are facing, that really, you know, was a very satisfying experience because, you know, looking back at it, I realized that it had much more impact than I would have hoped to have, you know, before I joined MIT. Wow, that's quite an answer. Um, what will you, I mean, will you continue, let's say, at, at Apple in on in in those kinds of activities you think or when you when you move to california most definitely i think you know um, everyone can contribute to their communities in a way that's uh, larger than maybe their employment opportunity or you know their master's program certainly every community needs improvement in some way or another and uh, one of my missions you know once i graduate is also to you know continue the work that you know i have gotten the opportunity to be a part of and you know apply it to places whether it be apple or maybe some community in you know california wherever i live uh, you know that uh, needs that sort of you know uh, leadership and uh, you know really being a part of alumni networks like both of mit and purdue and uh, also different organizations that i've been a part of uh, during my undergrad and grad uh, student life i think i certainly intend to continue that and hopefully i'll be able to you know um, have that same sort of impact that you know I have been hoping to achieve at MIT. Of, I, I I wouldn't say that you know the the work is completed or it's anywhere close to what I would like. Good. And um, good job there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and, and and the good thing is that you know MIT offers you know that support that you need to achieve anything you want. And it's not to say that you know I'm the only person having that impact. It's almost like everyone I talk to has been having an impact in some sort of way. Um, which is why MIT, you know, has been a transformative experience because not only are you pursuing, you know, what matters to you the most, but also like, you know, learning from people's experiences and understanding why is it that someone is, you know, pursuing, you know, this activity or trying to connect the student body together and what's their motivation. And then, you know, there's a light bulb moment when you realize that, oh, I actually resonated with that. And that's what I've been doing the past, you know, five years, but I didn't know that's, you know, that's why I'm passionate about it. Great. Okay. What will you miss the most about MIT since you're graduating in a few short months? That's a, uh, yeah, that's a very expansive question. Many things, you know, definitely the work, the, you know, the, the, in general, the experience I had, but most importantly, the people, you know, the people aspect, I think that is what brings life to campus in general. You know, it, it's, it's a very supportive environment, both from the administration side and the student side. And what I will miss most is, you know, those meetings that I have that is, uh, you know, maybe 6 p.m. On, on a Monday talking about, you know, how do we, you know, make campus a more inclusive environment or maybe uh you know how do we resolve this funding issue in this department x and you know certainly that is that is that is one thing that does make me sad about leaving mit and what could be improved or done differently 
at MIT? Um, improved or done differently? In my experience, if I were to change something, um, you know, in the in, from the past, if I could turn back time, I think I would I, I would focus less or stress less about how I measure up to my peers, because that is that is often something that a lot of people run into, not only at MIT but you know even at Purdue and other institutions. But particularly when you join as a new grad student, it it is very easy to be overwhelmed looking at all these people around you working on amazing things and you know having so much of an impact, and then suddenly your first semester passes and you know you look back and you think, oh, why didn't I publish you know this many papers like this peer of mine? But you know the thing that I learned, um, you know, throughout my time at MIT is that everyone's experience is different. You know, the, the field of research, the, the way that you tackle problems and, you know, how you come at a solution. Just embrace that individuality, I think, like, you know, and the types of, you know, extracurriculars that you want to pursue, the types of hobbies that you have, it's all, you know, up to you. Um, and, you know, so the, the one thing that I would tell myself is not to maybe compare myself too much, uh, you know, to my peers. Right. That sounds, that sounds something more like you could have done differently as opposed to, let's say, something that the institution needs to change. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. For the institution, uh, if we were to take it that way, I think, yeah, it, it, it's really hard to, you know, actually come up with a solution uh, to like a problem that MIT faces because, you know, it just, it's been worked on for a very long time. Um, the one thing I would say could be done better at MIT and other institutions is preparing the grad students, you know, towards the beginning of their entry to MIT to be a part of the community as much as the undergrad student body. Because yeah. I feel like that is a very common problem in academia that, uh, you know, once you are a graduate student, you're tied to a lab and tied to your research. But because undergrads, you know, have more of a kind of cohesive student body because they're taking the same courses, same classrooms, they tend to naturally connect more easily with each other. Whereas for a grad student, like you have to go out of your way to actually engage with the community beyond uh, maybe the work that you're doing. And so uh, just empowering the community in, in that way and actually that was exacerbated by COVID too, because, sure. um, you know, after that, like you're only in front of your Zoom screen the entire day and um, it's, it's even harder and perhaps more demotivating even for some people to say that, okay, I've been on Zoom from nine to five and now I don't want to be on another Zoom call. Right. No, clearly. I, I, I think that would have tremendously affected the, the beginning of your, your graduate experience. Um, what are your plans for the future? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. I know I'm <laughs> going to be uh, working at Apple. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the the biggest reason for, you know, working at Apple is, uh, you know, it is really fascinating to see how a product comes together and, you know, impacts, you know, almost the entire world, you know, almost, you know, I would say more than half the people at least use an iPhone. Uh, my, my main goal in the future is to continue having an impact that goes beyond me, uh, beyond just personally improving myself and, you know, having uh, a, a, a greater impact on the world. And I, I certainly gravitated more towards leadership. When I joined MIT, I was split between whether I want to, you know, do a PhD or do I want to go into industry or MBA. And uh, now what's clear to me is that, you know, while I do enjoy all these experiences that I've had at MIT, I um, at some point in the future want to be a leader that like uh, contributes to some sort of a positive change uh, beyond oneself. And, you know, that, that could lead to an MBA. It could lead to maybe some, uh, some sort of an impact in the industry. Uh, I guess I'll have to just uh, wait and see. Okay. Sounds good. 
sounds to me like you're definitely glad you made the decision to pursue the MS, even if it was a difficult decision initially. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. It was a difficult decision because, you know, uh, I think getting into the full-time employment world, uh, it is very attractive, uh, especially after that long time in education, you want to, you know, start earning, start supporting yourself and, uh, you know, kind of be, um, you know, this uh, person who can proudly say that, okay, I have gotten my first full-time job now. Um, but I, I think, you know, definitely doing a master's requires patience in some way, especially if you're doing it right after bachelor's because you're going to, you know, still be in academia for a while. But the good news is that uh, that academic experience also like really sets the course for, you know, the entire future that's in front of you. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough decision, but it was a decision that I definitely would take again. Definitely feel that you, yeah. um, you made the right one when you chose to both pursue the, the master's and, and attend MIT. Um, Definitely. Do you have, are you at all considering uh, any further education, either a PhD or an MBA or some other degree that I haven't thought of? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, all these paths, you know, have been open, especially PhD. Uh, it is uh, very easy to do once you are already kind of in the flow in the master's program at MIT. I, since I gravitate more towards leadership and want to kind of have that impact on organizations and, you know, uh, have, have that sort of, see that change that, you know, I, that, that translates from what I learned in the past to me applying it, uh, you know, to things around me, I, I would say that I'll probably pursue an MBA at some point in the future. And if obviously the MBA is both values leadership and, and trains leaders, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. What advice Definitely. do you have for those interested in pursuing an MS in engineering at MIT or at any other top engineering program, since you obviously did a good job getting into five of them? Thank you. Uh, yeah, that is actually my favorite question, uh, because I think this is the question that is probably the most daunting for people looking to be in graduate school. The, you know, many, many things in mind. One thing is, you know, to, first of all, like, Embrace your individuality, I think, is a key thing. Like, embrace who you are and what you want to do. And don't try to mold yourself and, you know, be someone who the society wants to see, you know. And, and, and that is, you know, a big part of my journey that I think um, has really helped me till this point to realize that, you know, oftentimes, like, you know, for example, personally uh, pursuing opportunities or extracurriculars, like, say, ballroom dancing as an example, you know, it is typically not that uh, are construed to be an ideal engineer's skill set, you know, to be a dancer. So the thing that I had to convince myself at that point is, should I continue this or should I, you know, be the, just the quantitative viz that people want me to be? And definitely the former is what I would recommend, you know, first of all, embrace who you are and then applying to grad school as far as that question is concerned. The first key question is, to answer for yourself why you need it and why you want it. How are you going to contribute to the graduate environment in you know, whatever way or form? And is that something, is that a decision that you are making considering all the opportunities that you have? Uh, like, for example, if you have a full-time job as an option, if you, you know, have an option to go back home, you know, in your home country, like weigh these decisions very carefully because it's going to dictate, you know, the next few years. And you certainly don't want to be in a situation where you start graduate education and then you realize that, oh, I maybe didn't think this through as much. So, you know, introspection, I think that is, that is something I would, uh, I, I would say it really helped me a lot. 
Right. It's mandatory. I, I always say that, uh, actually my, my daughter is, um, she's not in engineering at all. She's in the healthcare field and she was thinking of going for a master's and she was having trouble deciding what she should get her master's in. She could get it in the specific niche that she's in, or she could go in a different direction. And, uh, you know, she's been hearing me talk for 20, for a long time. So she says, but I don't know what I want to do with it. So I don't know where to invest my time and money. And I said, yeah. well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> then you shouldn't go for it yet. Cause you could end up investing it in the wrong place. Yes. And, um, so she, she has not, but, and, and I agree with that decision because until you know what you want to do with a degree, you could be wasting a whole lot of time and money. It's just that simple. Exactly. And, and also to uh, add another quick comment to that is, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, from where I come from, uh, think about how this degree is going to be perceived in the employment world or, you know, am I going to be like someone who is marketable? Uh, I, I think before that, the question to ask is like, what are your passions and, you know, how does your talent align and in which direction? And, you know, trying to, again, mold yourself less to what the world wants to see and uh, more like, you know, are you going to be satisfied? Because if you are satisfied with what you will be doing, you will find a way to make it work. Right. Okay. What would you have liked me to ask you? Um, yeah, you, you, you've asked the majority of questions. I think uh, just to expand on to, you know, the, the advice, you know, to um, applicants and maybe to people who are, you know, considering uh, grad school, uh, you've asked that already, but I think uh, as I think through it more, one additional key thing is like, don't worry about, you know, the admission statistics or, you know, uh, or focus too much on this online research of what are my chances? Am I going to get in or not? Because I feel like when I was applying, I was, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of measuring myself up to, you know, the stats and looking at, you know, is it worth it or not? It's certainly, you know, something to keep in mind, uh, something to be aware of that once you apply, like, you know, you should be prepared for either a yes or a no. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if you have a realistic shot, don't, don't keep yourself from taking it out of fear of failure. And, and, and I think that, that, that applies to everything, not just admissions, but in general. Right. If you don't ask, which is essentially what an application is, then you're for sure getting a no. Exactly. <laughs> if you do ask, you might get a yes. I do think though that, you know, admissions in, in any, for grad, any top graduate school is going to be a, a combination of multiple factors. The, the stats are averages. That's what you usually see. Sometimes you'll see a range, but usually it's, it's the average is most, uh, most frequently referred to. Averages yes. mean that people are accepted with numbers below them <laughs> as exactly. well as above them. So it's important that not that you, that you don't ignore the stats, but you said something at the, very, at the beginning that I thought made a lot of sense. You had some stretch schools. You had some schools where you were more confident of acceptance and you applied to a range. And I think that, makes a lot of sense. So that's exactly. where the, the numbers can, can provide some guidance. But in terms of choosing the schools, as you also said, the key is to know why you want the degree, right? Exactly. What, what do you want to do after the degree? What are you going to do while you're at the program? What's, what attracts you to the program, which is what you discussed in terms of choosing among your acceptances. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a multifaceted decision and decision-making process. 
So uh, it seems to me like you did an outstanding job on it. And uh, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I appreciate your sharing your experiences and perspectives. And where can listeners find you online? Um, if, if anyone wants to reach out or have any questions, I'm happy to share my LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, and that'd be the best way to reach me. All right. Well, we're going to link to Cheyenne's LinkedIn profile. A uh, final reminder to listeners, download your free copy of Applying to Graduate Engineering Programs, What You Need to Know from exhibit.com slash 460 download. Again, that's 460 download. Listener, thank you too for tuning in to this, our 460th episode. If you're concerned that you missed something in today's show or wanted to take a note or two, but couldn't because you were driving, jogging, or doing something else, we've done it for you. You'll find the show notes for this episode at accepted.com slash 460. This is Admissions Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.